Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, and I'm so honored that you're here. We have a fantastic episode for you today, but before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my personal training and nutrition counseling business that helps you get into the best shape of your life. How would your life be different if you were stronger, leaner, more athletic, if you moved better, had less aches and pains, and were more confident? If you've tried dieting in the past or exercise programs, but just didn't get the long-term results you were hoping for, hit me up. I'd love to start a conversation. You can email me at kevin at silver-edge.com. That's kevin at silver-edge.com. And we'll set up a 30-minute Zoom call to see if it makes sense to work together. Okay, enough shameless self-promotion. Let's get on with today's show. Ladies, please indulge me for a moment. I need a quick word with the men. Guys, this podcast applies to you. I know that there's some of you out there that are going to listen for a few minutes and think, healthy skincare and beauty products, what do I care about that? And I get it. But bear with me. This episode applies 100% to you. It turns out that healthy skincare is critical to whole body health. And the products that you choose, soaps, shampoos, underarm deodorants, shaving creams, etc., can have a positive or negative effect on your health. Okay, so with that public service announcement out of the way, today we're going to talk about the intersection of health and beauty. We'll talk about things like healthy skin biomes and why you should care. We'll challenge much of the conventional wisdom surrounding how we clean ourselves, and we'll call into question many of the commercial products that we use to scrub, clean, shampoo, and powder ourselves, and how these products can adversely affect our immune systems and overall well-being. My guest today is Nadine Artemis. Nadine is the author of Holistic Dental Care, A Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth and Gums, as well as Renegade Beauty, Reveal and Revive Your Natural Radiance. She is also the creator of Living Libations, a line of botanical health and beauty creations that are among the purest on the planet. Nadine inspires people to rethink conventional notions of beauty and wellness. And I asked her how she got interested in beauty and health. Well, it was kind of a classic teen, just into the normal beauty things, as many young women are taught to primp and preem so they can be legitimate women. <laughs> but, and I really loved it. Like I would even mix perfumes and different things in my bathrooms. But it was really when I was 18 and I was at university and I really started to understand the whole food system. And that was very eye-opening for me, really understanding where food came from, how it was produced, the chemicals, the ingredients, the environmental toxicities, the effects on the body. And I really understood like how to read labels and understand what was processed and really which led to me not eating processed food again. But within a few weeks of really immersing myself in that, I just sort of looked at my bathroom products at the moment. I was like, it's the same story. And the products that I thought were like kind of environmental back then, it was just total BS. It was just a petroleum promised land with fancier names like pineapple face wash or cucumber face toner. But I was really excited because it kind of gave me an excuse to make my own stuff. I had started making my own food. All of a sudden, food really opened up for me. So it was like a narrowing 
But then a whole world opening up where I'm like, oh my God, I can make like milk out of cashews. I can make sourdough bread. I can, you know, oh my God, there's a whole world of like beans that I'd never heard of, for example, or like seaweeds, like hijiki and all this, all that fun stuff. But then even when I, as I was dabbling as a teenager and even in grade nine, I had done a science fair project on perfumery, really went into the history of it. And in, in a book that I was reading in the library on the history of perfume, it talked about the distillates and that these are essential oils and that they could be found in a health food store today. So my mom took me to the big city and we went to the health food store because I recreated uh, L'Air de Temps for my project, science fair project in grade nine, which was me working with essential oils to make a perfume. <laughs> I really just didn't know at that time that I would become a natural perfumer. So then back at university, I'm making my own food and I'm whipping up my own cosmetics. And that was just so super exciting for me. So while I was doing schoolwork, I was also researching raw materials and ingredients and the history of cosmetic preparations and then writing consulates in different countries to find out their distillers because this was pre-internet because there were so many ingredients that I was reading about in books that I could not find and I had to find and I had to catch a whiff of what that was like in ancient Egypt or why were they putting these things together or what happens when you add frankincense to honey and all these great things. So that was that. I knew what I wanted to do while I was in university. And then within six months of graduating, I had this full concept for a store. And it was North America's first full concept aromatherapy store, which I started in Toronto on Queen Street. And it was gorgeous. We had a blending bar with over 100 essential oils, custom blend perfumes. You could buy essential oils by the drop. And it had all my formulas that I'd been making while I was going through university, like things like waitress legs and rose face serums, and eye creams, and shampoos, and fun things like that. That's a great story. So you got to this through food and the realization that processed food has just got a bunch of crap in it, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're in your bathroom, and you're looking at some of your beauty products, and you're saying, well, hey, I don't recognize any of these ingredients, which may or may not be healthy or unhealthy, right? Just because we don't recognize them. But as you start researching them, you're like, well, wait a minute. This, this doesn't look so good. So you got into making your own essential oils, your own beauty products at a very early age. Sounds like you knew exactly what you wanted to do. But before we go any further here and talk about what's in commercial products and why that's not good for us, what is an essential oil? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm generally working with botanicals for all of our skincare formulations, you know, sometimes there'll be some minerals, that kind of thing. But so within that palette of this beauty and this bevy of botanical ingredients that the earth makes are various extracts from, you know, we can work with tinctures and cold pressed oils and different extracts, like a super critical extract. But within that realm are things which are distillates, which are the distillation of essential oils. Now, not every plant can be distilled to have an essential oil because that plant needs to contain aromatic molecules, which can then be released from the plant matter through the process of distillation. And through that, you get a very, very concentrated plant matter. And the essential oil is like, it's like hidden in the sacs and the glands of the plant. And so that gets expressed and it's so concentrated. It's like one drop of rose, a steam distilled rose auto contains 60 rose heads wow. in one yeah. drop. And that one drop yeah. 
has over 500 natural chemical constituents that do like things that we don't even know. I mean, and that's why it's important to use things in their whole form, like when you can. So modern medicine would distill, not medicine, but whatever, modern pharmacopoeia <clears throat> or modern ingredient making. They take, they see peppermint and then they just want that very, very active ingredient. So out of the 500, there's obviously one that could be, you know, 50% and the rest are all just micro, but it's menthol. And so then they just want the menthol. But it's good to have all those micro things because then you're getting the whole expression in this concentrated form. So, and the, also the word oil is a little bit misleading because they're not oily like olive oil. Essential oils are actually volatile and evaporative. So if you have your pure lavender oil and you left the lid off, that will evaporate into the room over, you know, the course of a few weeks or that kind of thing. So it's a different quality of oil, but they're also very compatible with our body systems. They do, the molecules, even if you can't smell, they work physiologically on the body. They are great to apply transdermally where they can do their work in the bloodstream and then they leave. So it's not like a toxic ingredient that's then just hanging around for a couple of decades. So they're great because they're these active ingredients. They're also antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral. So they're really wonderful for skincare and cosmetic, but there's like a whole medical realm that you could kind of get into with the use of essential oils as well. Again, to help minor things like healing a cut, a scrape, a burn, a burn, you know, helping oral bacteria come into balance maybe helping a strep throat, that kind of thing. There's a lot of information there. And I think people might be surprised to hear that it takes, I think you said 60 rose heads to make a single drop of rose yes. essential now oil. Yes. Now that's why rose auto essential oil is so expensive. Now, of course. And that's why it's so expensive. There's a Absolutely. lot of plants that have a big yield. So eucalyptus, peppermint, lavender, they're all very juicy. And so, you know. Right. <laughs> Okay, and that, well, that and that kind of, and that can help us understand why when we go to say yeah. um, a health food store and you see that rack, some of them are sixty dollars and some of them are six dollars, and that might be why. Yeah, you would never want to buy you, essential oils if they were all the same price. That's a good point. And yeah, you want to see Latin names. That, yeah. You want to see some Latin names on there, a country of origin, and then just really mm -hmm. start smelling so you can see the difference because there's a lot of ways to fold, refractionate, and adulterate essential oils, and they become fragrance oils and nature identicals. And there's a lot, a lot of very savvy techniques there that are used for the food, flavor, and cosmetic industries. So there is a lot of what we see out in the market of essential oils isn't that genuine, authentic distillation that you want because it's when you got the authentic distillations that's when you actually will get the properties of what the books are saying you know frankincense doing x y and z you need real frankincense to do that okay and that was actually going to be my next okay. question right is there a difference between because sometimes i'll see a product and it will be of a, a relatively low price and i'll see that same product and it'll be quintuple the price and i think you just explained why there's different processes in distilling yes. essential oils, it sounds like probably different quality controls, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And you're looking for that purest distillation, right? Yes. Luckily, while I was in university, I had found a lot of my distillers that I work with now. And we've just been working together for over 20 years, which is so amazing. 
But I just wanted to say too, like you can have not genuine essential oils and they can also be high priced, you know? So there's all kinds of stuff. So that's why really, you really will know though by smelling. And if you start smelling just all the qualities, you will really be able to discern. And that's a good thing to do. We also do third-party testing and we put those lab reports up on our website as well. So those are all the things to really, you know, that we do to, to back up. And I'm only interested in using the best because it's going on my body as well. <laughs> So let's talk about skin. I've, I think it's maybe even one of the chapters in your book. Oh, yeah. It might be the name of a chapter. But I saw where you had written that our skin is the, the moist envelope of our soul. <laughs> and I've heard you speak about a healthy skin biome. And it was it was very eye-opening to me. I certainly had been a, exposed to a healthy gut biome and why that's important. But it, nobody had ever said anything about a, a skin biome that I'd ever heard. And you talk about what that is and why that's preferable to, say, an unhealthy skin biome. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about our skin? Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing because the study of the microbiome is about sort of 20 years old. And it's great because we're really starting to understand it, especially through gut health. But really, the whole body's a biome. And then the major microbiome areas are you know, the guts, which are obviously connected to the oral microbiome. There's like ear, nose, throat biome. There's a vaginal microbiome for women, which is very key. And of course, the whole skin microbiome. And then you're going to have different regions. So like the armpit is going to be a lot more microbiome, so to speak, than the sole of your foot. And there's a lot of activity on your face. So the microbiome is sort of new in our understanding. The microbiome is the like term for the billions of bacteria that are essential to our health. And for systems like the endocrine system, digestive systems, innate immune system, the, the microbiome is key. And sort of prior to these 20 years of understanding the microbiome, it, we were just all very focused on cellular health, which is also totally important. But it's good for us to know that our skin is, is teeming with cells and also billions of bacteria. So we're really just a tapestry teeming with bacteria and then sort of what we've gotten incorrect about modern skincare, which of course is laced with marketing and chemicals and sort of beyond that, is that we didn't understand the microbiome. So now, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, we knew about the endocrine disruptors that we were applying to our body through in the name of beauty and through cosmetics. But now we understand that many of the ingredients of modern skincare are actually mutating our microbiome. And so that's kind of mutating the effect of our innate immune system because our skin is our largest organ and it's a key player in our innate immune system. And what we apply to the body goes in and it, so it can be our greatest, it can be like what we're putting on our body can be like kryptonite. Because, or it can be a really good thing because we do have the ability to absorb. So let's use it for good. You know, like let's transdermally apply vitamin D or iodine or thing or all essential oils have the, it's like they're all high in monoterpenes and monoterpenes are healthy for the mitochondria. So now not only do we not have like non-toxic skincare, we've got beautiful and beautifying options that are working with the mitochondria, working with the bacteria, working with the cells. 
And that just makes a lot more sense to me to be working with the body. We step out of the way and allow the body systems to do its stuff, allow the bacteria to be the beautician. That's beautifully spoken. Most of us grew up in an era where we took our skincare products for granted. For me personally, that meant products like Dial or Irish Spring Soap, Prell Shampoo, Right Guard underarm deodorant, and some sort of foaming goo for shaving cream. And of course, you ladies most likely add on to this list things like conditioners and detanglers and lotions, makeup, perfume, etc. And now today, we're living in a world where antibacterial hygiene is important, and we've waged a war on bacteria. After all, we need to wipe out these bad germs, right? But when we put these commercial products on our body, we are damaging not just our skin, but we're damaging our immune systems. But what if there was a way to feed and nourish our skin, to work with our body's natural biomes? Yeah, we're feeding our skin and it's compatible with our skin and it's compatible, like the molecules are compatible. Another really interesting thing, which I studied through oral care, is seeing, like we now we're having answers, like modern science is bringing answers to some of the reasons why we've been using some botanicals for thousands of years for oral care and skin care. So through scientific research, we can see that essential oils have this thing called QSI, which is quorum, they are able to quorum sensing inhibit. So they're able to inhibit the quorum sensing of pathogens. And that really just means that they're able to inhibit the activity of pathogens gaining traction and the quorum sensing being their gene expression and their ability to kind of group up. So normally in a healthy biome, you know, you're always going to have pathogen in your body, right? There's always going to be that but you don't want them to overtake it. So I kind of think it's probably not scientific, scientific, but I think of like the 80-20 rule sort of in our bodies where we think of like 80% of really great beneficial bacteria and then they're managing that 20%. But if those pathogens start to quorum sense, they gain traction, they're able to do their gene expression and they're starting to build biofilms. So what we know now through understanding essential oils, and it's all to varying degrees, like I think cloves at about 71%. Um, so it's going to vary, but things like rose, frankincense, tea tree, f- clove, cardamom, cinnamon, all these really great oral care botanicals, we now know that they're able to inhibit the quorum sensing, clean up the pathogens while working collaboratively with the beneficial bacteria. They're able to bust through the biofilm, but not imbalance the beneficial bacteria, which is really, I mean, that's what we need right now. That's what we need. And that that can be part of our oral care and our skin care, and that we're not going to have a buildup of like aluminum or parabens in our body over a few decades. That's really exciting. That is very exciting, and it has a lot of implications for our long-term health. And we're recording this in May of 2021, so we're hopefully at the end of this crazy pandemic time when a lot of people are looking at health, right? We we now know that the you're at the greatest risk for this particular COVID-19 strain if you're unhealthy, if you have a, a compromised immune system. So things that we can do to long-term to be healthier, I, I think certainly we need to put more emphasis on that. Now, we've talked about 
why some of these natural products are healthy and good for us. Talk a little bit about the flip side. When I look through, you know, just in a department store, especially when you go to the ladies section for with the makeup and the shampoos and the conditioners and the detanglers and the leave-in shampoos and the on and on and on, right? All the different perfumes. What happens to our skin when we use these products daily excessively? Well, part of it too is like a lot, like a lot of the products are also causing issues and then you're looking for more solutions. So it's a bit of a catch 22 because nothing's really being solved at the root level. What we also know now, uh, through studying the microbiome is that this stuff doesn't leave the body. So they've done special photography where people do their normal routine, then seven days later, like, and not shower for that period of time. And you can see the buildup. It's just still there, sitting on the scalp, on the skin, on the face. So there's that. And then what we're seeing at a more microscopic level is that surfactants, so whether that's your quote-unquote mild face cleanser from the health food store or your dial soap, is that when the stratum corneum, which is the top layer of the skin, when that's looked at under a microscope, we're seeing that there's these microscopic splinters of surfactants that stay on the skin and build, they're not rinsed when you wash your face and they just microscopically build up over time, which can lead to like uneven skin tone, melasma, eczema, just dry scaly patches. And that's just like a micro detail of something that you might be chasing your tail about on your skin. Yeah. And I think any of us who have used a lot of chapstick may be experiencing kind of what you're talking about. You use your chapstick and basically as soon as you use it, <laughs> you're, you're, in a, you're in a cycle, right? Because then you need it. Yeah. Uh, it's somehow it gives you some relief immediately, but seems to dry you out even more it's, than you were. Which is, is so classic. Is that, like that, which is yeah. like, I feel like even like... I've studied the studies that have studied the KY jelly, which is glycerin, which seems like, I guess, at a commercial lube, that seems kind of innocuous. It doesn't smell. It's clear. But that's like glycerin. And what that creates on a cell, on the cell level is this thing called osmolarity. So you get, you get in the moment hydration, plumpness, but then the cell releases its water. And then when they look at the vaginal cells under the microscope from the use of KY jelly, they're shriveled up like raisins. They're sloughing off easier and making more of an environment for an STD. So, you know, it's, it could be that or the chapstick. And it's like these cycles. And I, like, I mean, for over 20 years, I have people use my lip balm and they're just like, oh my God, it's like done. And, and, the, and their little lip balm may last them a year <laughs> because lips are healed. Yeah, lips are healed and healthy. And I suppose if you're just using your drugstore, department store, chapstick, lipstick, well, yeah, whatever you're putting on your lips. Well, yes, usually petroleum-based, so it's actually drying mm. out. It's kind of like the with triclosan in hand soap or hand, I think it was in the hand sanitizing gel, which is a, you know, it's a toxin and it's in toothpaste too, but they've removed it from hand soap because it actually messes with the microbiome and then makes the bacteria on your skin more susceptible to superbugs because it's kind of like acting like an antibiotic on the skin, which antibiotics have their place in time, but 
for the past 40 years, scientists say we're literally at our now antibiotic resistant stage. And so antibiotics are no longer effective. And the issue is there have been in our food supply, in the water, and uh, antibiotics are a little bit more of these sort of indiscriminate assassins kind of wiping out whole areas. And then you've wiped out the microbiome, which is really part of your immune system. Yeah, I, I, that that is a problem, right? So yeah, and then I guess bringing it back to sort of now, yeah, we want to be clean, obviously, and we want to, you know, wash our hands and that kind of stuff. Soap, you know, is awesome because it does literally, it, even if it isn't, I mean, obviously I'm into natural soap and we make beautiful soap, but even if you use your just your whatever sunlight dish soap, it will wash the virus off your hands. And that's important. It doesn't always need to be hardcore hand sanitizer, but that's important too. So we want to keep things like hands clean. We don't want to be touching, you know, our eyes out in public. But at the same time, it's like our approach to our bodies and our homes has been too clean with chemicals because the cleaning is stripping away the thing. Like it's messing with our microbiomes and then kind of the home microbiome because you don't want to just clean away viruses to replace with the inhalation of a chemical. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, certainly we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole in the environmental toxins that are in our home with, especially with cleaning products and laundry products, et cetera. There's not a lot we have control over on one level, like sort of outside our home. So that's why I feel like, you know, what we're putting on our bodies and how we're cleaning our homes is like, at least we do have control over that. And cleaning your home with like baking soda, hydrogen peroxide, and like a bottle of blood orange or something. I mean, you can go so far or, and like a nice eco bottle of like cleaning soap that, I mean, that can do your whole house. I, that's, we scrub our toilets with baking soda. We wash our, our bathtub with a little hydrogen peroxide and baking soda and the flora mop water, just like add a touch of soap with some lemongrass or peppermint. It's really good. So that's really easy. And then also, you know, I make a lot of beautiful skincare products, but truly, and I talk about, I have recipes in my book. And if you just got like on a low vera plant, a bottle of organic jojoba oil or olive oil and like some apple cider vinegar and baking soda, you could go so far with your oral care and taking care of your skin like those bottles would last you a year and you really could take care of your skin and it, much more effectively than just getting stuff at the drugstore or, or even your like $100 eye cream. Like you seriously, if you use olive oil on your eyes for the rest of your life, like beautiful, you know, organic olive oil, you're way better off than like the La Mer for a thousand dollars. Yeah. And so Let's talk about that a little bit, right? So I think, and we had alluded to this earlier, that there are some very savvy marketers. There's a billion-dollar advertisement industry in oh, yeah. and, care and, and home care, right? And it's right? been going on since the 40s and finding new parts of our body that we can feel insecure right. and ashamed about. So then the product is the solution. The product is the solution, right. So when when somebody like just my wife who doesn't have a phd in chemistry she goes to the department store wherever she's buying her cosmetics she picks them up she looks at the back of that what are what is she looking for what are the worst offenders or should she not be there at all i mean you had alluded to you know you could go a long way with a little bit of essential oils some baking yeah. soda some jojoba maybe some olive oil what are some of the worst offenders that are common in our beauty care products. 
Well, you know, I kind of, I'm not hip to all those words anymore because <laughs> I just don't really. There's a lot yeah. of them. But yeah. like, you know, there's they're 50, really long. There's 50 yeah. ways to say petroleum, you know, that the, like, you wouldn't mm. even recognize mm -hmm. as petroleum based. I mean, there's the sodium lauryl sulfates, which are the surfactant family, but there's about, you know, 50 ways in different sodium laureth and sodium laurel. So there's like a whole, it's a whole thing. And I don't, you know, I just don't care. It's like, I just drag those to the delete bin in my brain. <laughs> Those words do not right. float around in my head. So when you're looking at the back, I mean, really, I mean, the, the thing is Latin names are also sounding scientific, but hopefully, and then hopefully you've got the real plant name beside it. So it should be like sandalwood and santalum album. So you're seeing that Latin name, which for some that can seem a bit scientific, but it should all be recognizable words. Period. Very similar to our food, right? Yeah, when we look exactly. at our food, it should be food should be in the ingredients and yeah. not other things. And if you have to Google it, it's it probably shouldn't be in your food. And and so we should as the same that we're avoiding this highly processed or now ultra processed foods. It's probably a good general practice to avoid this ultra processed kind of beauty care industry that's that's grown up around us. Yeah. And really too, like I just most. Most production is really designed to just meet a bottom line. And it's yeah. so much in the marketing and the pizzazz and not delivering in the product. And I'm just like, I don't know, if I'm going to have a bottle of something, there better be something in there. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, well, let's. we alluded to scent a couple times. I wanted to talk specifically about armpits. Mm -hmm. In our culture, for whatever reason, <laughs> armpits are gross. You certainly don't want smelly armpits, right? And that's a place where we need to clean. And not only do we need to clean it, but then we need to go and put something on there. Men and women, we got to put something on there to stop us from sweating because we don't want to sweat, right? And to mask any odor that's there. So Really, I have a couple of questions. One, I, I suspect that humans, being mammals, probably communicate a lot of information by smell. Mm -hmm. And so we're clearly short-circuiting that when we're just masking our body head to toe with, with different scents, especially these chemical scents. But can you talk a little bit about the taboo of human scent? And then let's kind of talk about... I want to move this into your poetic pits line, which I'm kind of passionate about myself <laughs> and, you know, using a product that complements your body smell as opposed to masking it. But talk a little bit about that. Why are we as Westerners so horrified, or at least in North America, of our body's natural scent? Well, I think part of it, I mean, obviously it can be unpleasant and, but part of it also is a lot of marketing, but I love, I love, there's a Walt Whitman line from one of his poems that says, the scent of these armpits is an aroma finer than prayer. And that's... Nice, I love it. You know, that's bringing the dialogue into a new space. But yeah, it's such a key area. And I think it's important that we unmask some of our aroma, so to speak, from the military-industrial complex, which is being so silly. Right. But if we've got petroleum yeah. and aluminum in our pits, and it's not so good, and fake smells, because this area is key. And and why is because it's like, they're kind of like little flowers for us, because they also emit pheromones like flowers do. And so pheromones, the root word literally means to like transfer of excitement. And these pheromones that get excreted from our armpits, you know, broadcast information about us. But it's also like the pheromones excrete, like it's 
and androsterone. And it was like when I realized that, and I knew, because I knew that sandalwood had a phytoandrosterone. And because I'd still, I was about 23 then, I was still trying to perfect the, the pit thing because just mixing essential oils in water and spraying on your pit didn't always have a lasting effect. And it also super helps to not to wear like natural ingredients on it for your top, like so cotton. Because as soon as you add a synthetic fiber in there, like a poly, your pits will smell because there's a breathability that isn't happening. So even if you, like, if you have smelly feet, you gotta wear wool or cotton or alpaca. You gotta have a hundred percent natural fiber or a merino wool and underwear. You know, yonis rebel at synthetic polyester underwear. We need that area to breathe, especially since we are clothed all the time. So we need some breathable fabrics. You know, I get that there's situations where you want to wear something else. That's cool. But like on your daily level, especially if you're a guy that's always wearing a white t-shirt, you know, just make it 100% cotton. So that's going to be key. But then so, oh my God, did sandalwood ever work so eloquently for the pits? And so then that became the basis of the poetic pit line, which is really mainly sandalwood with these other essences. So the sandalwood really works effectively. And then what, what we found over the years is that people become practically like pied pipers. And whether they've been in a hot yoga or sweating all day or haven't showered even a couple of days and they're still working with their poetic pits is you get about two or three days of like smelling really great until your next bath or shower. I mean, of course, if you're showering every day, then you reapply. But uh, these days, not everybody's showering every day. And that's okay too. But it really, what it does is it combines with your pheromones. So the scent coming off is, is like, it's the poetic pit plus you. And it's just been so revolutionary. And I feel like it really, it does create a beautiful seamlessness with, with our pheromones, you know, with that scent expression that we all actually naturally have. And I think it's key to relationships and understanding people. And I feel like there's a little bit in the modern world that's masking that information and that interchange with people. And even things like the uh, birth control pill actually studies show it's it throws the pheromones off and people aren't necessarily picking the right mates. Yeah, I think I've heard some studies there with specific with scent and birth control and other things. And it's it's very interesting how much information we get from scent. But I I think that most of us think that when we think of scent of another human, we're thinking of a perfumed smell. Mm -hmm. And now for those of us who, if you haven't caught on, Poetic Pits is is Nadine's line or Living Libation's line of underarm. I won't call it deodorant because it's not. If I'm not mistaken, is there, for example, I use the Maverick and the, how do you say, Vetiver? Yeah, Vetiver. 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 Those are the two that I use pretty commonly. But I think there's, is there anything in there besides essential oils? Is there a carrier oil? No, that's it. And that's the magic of it. Sandalwood has this really awesome viscosity that is so perfect for that area. Now it's very concentrated. So you need a tiny, like one stroke does each pit. Generally speaking, you know, once in a while, there'll be somebody that's, that's sensitive to that because it also with shaving, it can be a sensitive area. But we also have our underarm charms, which are cream deodorants and they're a little milder. And so that's a, yeah. you know, that's an aw- awesome option too. And they're very effective as well. 
So yeah, that's, and I just wanted to bring up the armpit because that just seemed like a good place for us to start. We have this all in common that we're all trying to to mask this area, but you've got a different, a completely different outlook on that, a way to keep that a, a healthy area and to work with your body's natural pheromones that you said, right? As opposed to trying, let's, instead of going to war against yeah. this smell, let's find a way to complement it. Which and is, I'll just add that, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll just oh, yeah. add real quick that yeah. with those poetic pits, I'll do, I'll do a quick swipe on each pit. I'll get a little dab behind each ear oh, and yeah. right, right on my chest. And <laughs> I get all these crazy compliments about, wow, what are you wearing? Because it's, it's a wonderful smell. And like you said, just a tiny bit goes a long way. And you know what, truly, like way more valuable, I mean, like, and concentrated than like all the perfumes on the market. Like you really are buying just this really genuine and concentrated, beautiful thing. And yeah, you can even put in your hair. Hair really holds smell for a long time as well, because it doesn't get absorbed into the skin. And I guess just what you were saying, how we're working with the aromas is just, I guess, sort of also an underlying philosophy of mine. And when I'm understanding the body or oral care is my general thesis or theme is to like step out of the way, really understand what are the natural body systems that are designed, like what was designed before, you know, we even put our minds on the situation to take care of that system. And like, usually our modern skincare solutions are actually getting in the way of those body processes. So we want to allow the body to function, which makes life easier. And then hopefully what we're doing in our, our body care and in our self care is moving with that, working with it, boosting those systems, not inhibiting it, not making more work for it, you know, not putting it into an immune response. Yeah, I mean it's it's honoring and loving your body, right? As opposed to going to war against your body. Yes, and, but that being said too, I mean I think probably we didn't doing know bad things, right? I don't think we knew we were going to war with our body, you know. Right? So mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a new way, but we it's like we've all kind of got to undo the past marketing and commercialization of how we were supposed to care for our bodies. Yeah, well said. Well said. And keeping on the armpit theme for just a minute longer, you know, it's been, you see a lot of quote unquote natural armpit products for men and women out there. And that's because it's been in the news a little bit that it turns out deodorants bad for you has some health consequences. And I believe is even correlated or linked to breast cancer. Is that right? Well, it can be. Correlation isn't always causation. However, right. with the deodorants, you know, you've got maybe 40, 50 years of microdosing aluminum that's going to build up. It's not leaving the body. And I have studied breast health a lot. I have a chapter on breast health. And it does seem that when disease breast tissue is studied, that 99% of that tissue does have parabens in it. And parabens are an interesting, interesting thing to look at through understanding that if their use in, in cosmetics is only ever at a, a 0.1%, not much is needed. And so it's very micro. But you can see, so in that sometimes thing, well, and that can even be in an or a certified organic skincare product because, you know, 20% of those ingredients don't have to be certified organic. So we can just see how this, this one ingredient that's used in a very infinitesimal amount shows up in the body. And so that's why I just feel like every drop matters. Every ingredient matters. Every ingredient matters. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And that goes back to flipping your beauty products over, looking at the back. 
And if you want to have some fun, break out Google. Some of the things don't seem so horrible. Some of them seem pretty bad. Yeah. Now, um, sometimes once in a while, there could be a Latin name or something that you might sure. not get. But and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But there's a long list of other things typically. Yeah. And in it's great, too, because we're here. It's tw- like 2021. And it's not like you just like, oh, wah, wah, like there, now there's nothing. I can't have any fun with my beauty care. I'm like, no, there's a whole beautiful banquet awaiting so many options, so many fun ways to care for your body. So it can really be a celebration. It doesn't have to be in any sense like denying yourself the beauty of the planet. That's that's an excellent point. So I think for guys listening, we're probably less impressed with that statement. We're like, eh, well, I, you know, I get a little shave cream, get a little, now I got my poetic pits and use maybe this Best skin ever, as opposed to soap, I'm good, right? I'm done. (laughs) I don't even need shampoo. I'll just use the same thing I'm using for... But (laughs) for women now, we're talking about... So I think... I suspect a lot of women listening to this, they use commercial products and they probably have a whole bathroom full and they've invested some money into that. And if we're saying take all that away or at least be aware of it and reduce it. What you're saying is you're not really giving anything up. You're just moving into this whole beautiful other realm with lots of possibility, including beauty possibility. Yeah. And I think probably added health way benefits, more right? results. Cause I feel like too, there's been so many promises, right? Right. If I just think even of being a teenager reading Vogue magazine, you think every little bottle is going to be magical because it's like strong it's strong marketing you know but i think you know and even though i do make skincare i think we also have to know that it's really you know beauty isn't something that's applied and it's not necessarily a bottle of anything is going to be what restores you so i also like to just talk about you know it's about our connection and engaging with the elements that are around us because i feel like that's actually what's the true rejuvenation and of course the ingredients that I use in the skincare are from the elements of the earth. But what we can also do is like get fresh air, engage with the wind and the air and sunshine and pure water, getting out for a walk, seeing the sunrise, checking out the moon. That's the stuff that we also want to bring into our beauty practices, so to speak, into our self-care. Okay, so we can glow with inner beauty when we get our inner health and outer care working in synchronicity. And speaking of the importance of being outdoors, I wanted to ask Nadine about sun exposure. Surely we need to avoid the sun in order to maintain healthy, youthful-looking skin. But I live in coastal North Carolina, and every summer I watch well-meaning parents slather their kids and themselves up with sunscreen at the beach. And that doesn't seem particularly healthy either. I'm really passionate about sun care. And, uh, you know, as a teen, I had the probably similar experience to everybody, you know, just that like sunscreens and like overburning and not really getting it and like, don't do it yet. Feeling like I just, whenever I felt the sun, I was like, it feels right. But then your mom being like, you can't get burned. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. But in my 20s, I was like really set to figure it out because I just feel like the truth is for many people, it does feel good. And it really is kind of responsible for all life on the planet. And we do have a form of a photosynthesis system, just like chlorophyll is made when sun 
interacts with plants and trees. When our skin interacts with sunshine and sunbeams, there's so many catalytic conversions that happen. It's a real, it's a real meeting of life, that sunbeam on the skin. And when we really look at the skin and the design of the body, because that's what I like to do first, we see that our skin was designed to be exposed to sunshine. We have thousands of vitamin D receptors all throughout our body, on our skin, inside. And they, those vitamin D receptors, VDRs for short, need to be brimming with sunshine to make a whole bunch of body systems happen. So when we get the sun on our skin, we get a different, because you think, well, maybe we can just take vitamin D supplements and, you know, forget about it. But it's actually a different type of, it's a water-soluble type of vitamin D that's created. It creates a very healthy form of cholesterol sulfate. Antimicrobial peptides are created, like LL37, that helps with inflammation and cytokine storms. We also have the production of nitrous oxide, which is so key. And it's like this liquid sunshine. It's a liquid, it's, it's called vitamin D, but it's a hormonal precursor. So it actually is contributing to a juicy interior, so to speak. And in previous centuries, up until about the 1940s, sun was seen as essential, you know, obviously revered in, in, in cultures past like the original Olympians, were required to exercise outside because they knew that the sun on skin created muscle tone. So it's one of my favorite ways to work out is lying in the sun. And then we have, you know, the 1902 Nobel Prize won for heliotherapy, understanding the light healing various imbalances. And in the 1920s, Dr. Auguste Rollier made very famous clinics in Lausanne, Switzerland, where Many thousands of people would go and heal things. So children with rickets or tuberculosis would go for months. And uh, it was like a hospital all built on sun tanning. So all the beds were outside and it was, it's pretty amazing. And you can see pictures on Google. I, it's great to look at that. And even in the 1940s, you've got uh, Mademoiselle Coco Chanel saying that no outfit is complete without a tan. So that's a very important part of our history. I'm just joking. Yeah. So anyway, there was this whole other reverence for the sun and the understanding that it was part of our natural hygiene. But now we have science that can help us even understand more. So now we can see why sunlight is so important, why, they, why it helped Epstein-Barr viruses like 100 years ago. Now we have the science to understand why. And what we know is when those vitamin D receptors aren't brimming with vitamin D, then these sticky bacterial lingons can come in and basically like just flip the switch on the immune system and they fill up those vitamin D receptors. And that's the beginning of various imbalances. We now also have over 3,000 studies that show that ample vitamin D in the body prevents many diseases, including slashing breast cancer risk by 50%, which I think that's more than giving up alcohol would do. We know that juvenile diabetes, the main cause of that is deficient D in pregnant mothers. So it's very connected to health. But then we've also been messaged that we're going to shrivel up like raisins and have aged liver spots everywhere. <laughs> so now we got to understand that part. 
in the 90s and stuff, again, kind of like where we understand the microbiome, I think we can understand that many chemicals in sunscreen would be endocrine disruptors. And besides, you know, if you look at the ingredients like oxybenzene, there's going to be in, there could be infertility issues, liver issues. And the oxybenzene is one of the main active ingredients in sunscreen around the world. It's been banned some places like Europe, but oxybenzene is non-carcinogenic until it's exposed to sunlight. It is the main active ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's that whole stuff of the chemicals, but the main thing that I think is to really understand it is when we're using sunscreen, we're separating the UVA from the UVB ray. So the UVB is the giver of vitamin D. So now we're denying the vitamin D. And when UVA is without its ultraviolet partner, UVB, then we're just getting sun damage ray. Because UVA on its own is you know, what's going to cause, because it's not balanced. It's like you're not getting the whole spectrum. So sunscreen divides the spectrum. And that's when some of the stuff is an issue. The other issue is what are we bringing to this, you know, to the altar of the sunshine? I think of you're laying your body on this altar of sunshine. And, you know, are you hydrating with Coca-Cola and Mazzola oil in your diet? You know, that's so the polyunsaturated, the commercialized, uh, synthesized polyunsaturated fatty acids, those are the one of the biggest causes of melasma and hyperpigmentation in skin, not the sun. Not the sun, right. Yeah. And so what we do is we want to have a new relationship with the there sun. You, yep. you know, how? so how are we going to do this? And I've got to say, since I've really, you know, gone into getting my melanin levels up every year, tanning, in other words, really seeing that that sun damage stuff that I got more from the teens when I was burning or not sunning properly, I don't have any, you know, nothing is getting sun damaged or wrinkled from being more in the sun is what I got to say. You know, really focusing on really being amply having ample vitamin D levels for the past 10 years. So, but if you are concerned about your face, you could always just wear a hat. But the idea is really getting, you know, as much skin as you can in the sun and starting slowly but surely and starting in the spring. So in my, I live in Canada, in Ontario, so we have got a hearty winter, but vitamin D starts coming back in those sunbeams mid-February. So at first, I'll just open the windows and then slowly, you know, make my way outside. But I'll get those sunbeams and I'll build up my vitamin D. And then by the summer, I don't need, you know, you're just so protected from the sun because you've built up that base layer and then tanning into the fall. And then you've got the vitamin D taking you through winter. And I found that my skin has actually just become even better conditioned through the sun exposure. It's really neat. Yeah, there's a there's a lot in there. Obviously, yeah. our diet plays yes, a, a big role in our in our skin. And also, there's foods that create to an internal sunscreen. And there's oh, oh, really? yeah, and that's there's scientific papers on that, like all the high pigmented ones, huh. like the lycopene yeah. and all that. And then also, we can use oils on our skin that harmonize our skin with the sun's rays. And it's not a sunblock, and it's not a sunscreen. But it will extend your time. It depends on your, you know, are you Mediterranean or Irish? Obviously, it's going to make a difference. But we have this, and we call it a tanning oil. And it's so rich, and it's lovely pigmented. And it's kind of like a, 
you can't, we can't say an SPF because that's literally just for synthetic ingredients. You have to, it's like SPF is only for synthetic realm. But, you know, you can kind of get a feeling like a coconut oil, even jojoba or olive oil, they're going to kind of give you about a six, you know, so they kind of, it can extend your time, but it's not going to prevent you from burning. But then you have your time in the sun. And then if you're out longer, you know, wear a shirt, wear a hat, get your sun in. And then we do, and then there, you can use zinc. And we make our Everybody Loves the Sunshine Oil, and then we make a version with zinc. Now, zinc, though, is just block. And how that's useful is it literally bounces the rays off of you. So it deflects the rays, and then you're not absorbing any of it. So we don't really have anything in between. It's sort of either golden tanning or you're blocking. But really, currently, that whole in-between realm is pretty chemically. <laughs> certainly, certainly is. Yeah. And that's another multi-million dollar industry, right? The whole sunblock industry. Yeah. And so personally, I do a lot of surfing, fishing, yeah. a lot of times outdoor. And I've been very, and I'm very interested in, I go to the dermatologist religiously every year and she keeps telling me, keep doing what you're doing. And I think to myself, well, I'm getting a lot of sun exposure. <laughs> so if you probably knew that, you'd probably yell at me. <laughs> But my first line of defense, like you said, is clothing. So if I'm fishing all day, I have these very lightweight, breathable yeah. um, clothing I can put on, a hat. You can uh, my put second stripe of zinc of on your nose, you know. And I, well, I use the, I use the Everyone Loves Sunshine with Zinc on there my face. Know. That's really the <laughs> only product I ever put on me. And, you know, if I'm at the beach, I'm in the water a lot, so I don't yeah. really worry about it as much. But then you have a reflection. Yeah, of course, which can yeah, be a exactly. thing. And also it depends where you Certainly. are in the world, right? Like if I go to Hawaii in February, but haven't had sunshine since November, I've got to again, work a bit slowly. And unfortunately too, we're sometimes we only have a week to get away. And so then we're blasting in the sun, but we definitely don't want to get burnt. But as I really go into explaining in the book, our body can deal, our DNA can deal with a burn a lot better than it can with dealing with eight hours of those chemicals on our body. And of course there are you know, serious cancers and stuff around discussion of the sun, like melanoma and that kind of stuff. But I go into it in the book and using medical journals and science, we unpack that and show that it really seems that the more sun exposure you have, the closer you live to the equation, the more quote unquote recreational sun exposure you have, the less chance you would get mel melanoma. So there's a lot to undo, and I really appreciate the work of uh, Dr. Ackerman, who was the founding father of dermatopathology, which is like a little more serious than dermatology, like in the disease realm. And he was so all about the tan. <laughs> he was very well tanned dermatologist. Yeah, I'll, I'll to, yeah, I'll have to check him out. I, I love that. Yeah, he's Certainly, a great, um, great writer. His book is hard to find. It was just published about ten years ago, but it's it's such a good. It's if you're into the sun, it's like a little mecca. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Nadine, I've kept you here for some time. I know we're coming up against our our time here, and just tell us what's next for you. Where Where are you going from here? I, I know you've you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. It sounds like you're very passionate about what you're doing. What's on the horizon for you? Mm, so many things. It's sort of hard to pick one, but there's always beautiful products on the way. Um, always exploring things about health. Actually, I have an interview coming out. <laughs> I don't normally interview people, but I've, there's a really beautiful substance that's a polyamine that we've, that this, that a friend of mine has made available. And wow, it's so exciting. 
It works on autophagy, lipophagy, mitophagy, just for starters. And the side effects are beautiful hair, glowing skin, hard like diamond nails, long eyelashes. It's it's amazing. And it's just a food nutrient that's concentrated. Okay. So, and well, that's certainly, <laughs> I, I like everything I'm hearing yeah. there. And that sounds exciting. So if people want to learn more about you and find out more about your products, et cetera, your books, where would you like to send these people to connect with you? Well, our home base is livinglibations.com and you can find everything there and other interviews. We also do free consults that we do for half an hour. You can email us any question you want and hopefully we can help you. We take oral care questions, skincare questions. There's other interviews and resources there. And then the books are available anywhere books are sold and they're also both available on Audible. Great. And I can drop all that into the show notes. I know you have a ton of YouTube videos out there as well that people can. And then on Instagram, you can connect at Nadine Artemis Official or Living Libations Official. Great. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make sure I get all that into the show notes. Well, Nadine, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all of your beauty and your wisdom and your knowledge with us. I think that you're doing great stuff in the world and I wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Kevin. Okay, so that's our show for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed our episode. But before you go, I have a challenge for you. Go into your bathroom and take a look at the ingredient list on a couple of your favorite skincare products. You'll need your phone or computer to Google most of these ingredients. And just be aware of the things that you are putting on your body and ask yourself if these ingredients are serving your long-term health and wellness goals. Next, choose one product to replace with a natural product. You certainly can't go wrong with any of the products from Nadine's company, Living Libations, but the idea here is to find a product that has ingredients that you understand and that are actually healthy for you. You can find all of the show notes as well as links to Nadine and Living Libations on my website at www.silver-edge.com forward slash episode 56. If you enjoyed this show, please consider giving us a review on whatever platform you're listening on and please share this episode with a friend. Until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.